If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's a hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. And today we're exploring the pitfalls of living fast and buying cheap on businesses, workers, consumers, and the planet. We discuss the realities of global manufacturing and the underbelly of the ocean freight industry and why buying craft cannabis and supporting sustainable products from local makers is worth the extra investment. Joining me is Sharon Kevill, founder of 40 Goods, the first American-made furniture company with lockable drawers to safely and securely store cannabis products. Sharon is a retail industry and interior design veteran who learned what not to do from the fast furniture industry. 40 Goods Furniture is thoughtfully designed, sustainably sourced, and made to last. Living in a prohibition state and being the mom of a little one, Sharon is passionate about the importance of normalizing parents' use of cannabis products. But before we dive in, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the muscle rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And this week, we'll hear Kate's story of relief. Hi, Joanna. I had to call and let you know how much I love your MJ relief. I have this really crazy back pain that cropped up and nothing else was helping. I tried other CBD. I tried Arnica. I tried all sorts of other things. And and I know there's a little bit of Arnica in here, but whatever you did to make this CBD magical mixture, it is crazy effective. My pain went away in my back. I'm now using it on my knees and ankles and I love it. No joke. It's the best. If you're feeling Kate's pain and want some muscle and joint relief of your own, head over to mjskinrelief.com. That's mjskinrelief.com. I'm happy to report my supply chain storms have calmed, and MJ Relief is on its way to those of you patiently waiting for your orders. <sighs> this experience has been a daily practice in letting go of expectations, both good and bad. So thank you from the bottom of my Texas-sized heart for going with the flow and not losing your shit on me. And for those of you who are already fans of MJ Relief, please send a video or voice memo and let me share your story of relief on the podcast. And follow at MJ Skin Relief if you're a social butterfly. The Sustainability Roll-Up is presented by OCB Rolling Papers. In perfect harmony with natural sustainable practices, it's always been the OCB signature to provide the highest quality, responsibly sourced, and sustainably crafted rolling papers. Hemp will be a major player in creating a more sustainable furniture industry. I came across a cool video by Vapa Drentea, a company based in the Netherlands, that used hemp to create a range of fully recyclable and carbon-negative home and office chairs. They're made with industrial hemp fibers bound with a plant-based, biodegradable, and recyclable thermosetting resin developed by a company called Plantix. This resin came to be 
by accident. Trying to create one thing, the scientists discovered the base for a natural glue that works in harmony with hemp to create strong and beautiful creations. The residual fiber waste from hemp processing is used as raw material to make the seat shell of the chair. The fibers are processed into a thick mat that is combined with the resin and pressed into shape, and the resulting shell is finished with linseed oil. Other components used in the chairs include recyclable steel and wood certified by the Program for the Endorsement of Forest Certification. As a result of hemp's CO2 sequestering qualities, the production process absorbs more CO2 than is emitted, making the range of chairs carbon negative. Imagine all of the things that we can make besides chairs with this effective replacement for pollutive synthetic materials. I'll be sure to include the show-and-tell video and additional resources in the Podcast 191 show notes at casuallybaked.com. I think it's important to know what's already being done around the globe so we can know what's possible right here at home. Because sustainability isn't just something to sit on. You see what I did there? (laughs) Sustainability is something to do. And one simple place to start is with your rolling papers. Unlike most other brands that buy their paper from a third party, OCB oversees the entire plant-to-puff papermaking process, ensuring a century of quality straight to your hands. OCB makes their own paper from their mill in Evian to the factories they own in Perpignan, France. With all fibers and packaging materials sustainably farmed within a 500-kilometer radius. And the always-stick acacia gum they use is grown in African fields that OCB has been reforesting for decades. There are no GMOs, no chlorine, and no dyes in OCB papers. And each type comes in a full line of sizes in both booklets and cones. Of course, you must be 21 and older to buy OCB rolling papers and to follow the natural wonders of OCB on social at OCB underscore USA. And I'm in the process of trying all of the OCB papers on Roll With Me, where I'm practicing the classic art of hand rolling my joints. If you're a grown-up joint rolling novice, I invite you to learn the craft alongside me. Catch the Roll With Me video series live streaming on the Casually Baked YouTube channel with replays on the WeedTube and IGTV. If you haven't bought your school supplies yet, there's still time. Visit ocbusa.com backslash baked to get four booklets of OCB and a rolling tray for only $4.99. This bundle is worth 20 bucks and is around for a limited time. But the rolling skills and street cred we'll earn together, my friend, make this bundle priceless. As for you OGs who can roll a joint while riding a bike, I challenge you to sample the entire line of OCB products and let me know your favorite. Ask for OCB wherever you buy your papers. You'll find links to the OCB special offer as well as an interest form for joining me on an episode of Roll With Me in the podcast 191 show notes at casuallybaked.com. We live in an overstimulated and target-driven society geared towards efficiency rather than compassion. But somehow... I continue to attract humans into my life that are rocking that boat with me. We don't have to keep playing this finite game, people. Life is a masterful game in that we get to choose which version we play, and no one is ever declared the winner. We can build compassionate businesses and communities and still make profits and live comfortably. Fast and cheap is rarely the best option. So I invite you to slow down and settle in for a thoughtful discussion on manufacturing, the maker movement, conscious capitalism, and how 40 Goods is guarding your stash in the modern cannabis culture. It's time to get casually baked. I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. I'm really excited about our conversation today. 
I have a, a poster framed on my wall that says slow cannabis. And when people come in, they're always like, oh, what does that mean? And, you know, I have to explain to them how we have to just hold on to the craftsmanship of growing cannabis and and consuming cannabis and just like the whole beautiful ritual of this plant. And with your background in design and retail and furniture, when you and I started having a conversation, it just popped into my head. I'm wanting slow cannabis in a fast mm-hmm. world. Like this is a real problem. And, um, and you crossed over into the cannabis space not too terribly long ago. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to talk about the parallels between both of these industries that you've worked in. So tell us a little bit about your background, Sharon. Sure. So I started, I went to school for interior design and I have been an interior designer. I still sometimes practice a little bit here and there, but I have been an interior designer for almost 20 years and Forty Goods is actually my second business. So shortly after college, I started a consultancy for uh, interior design for small businesses that were looking for interior services. And I did that for a number of years. And then right around the time the um, economy crashed in 2007, 2008, uh, I went to work at a large retailer, Kohl's. And I started in store design there. And then after a couple of years doing that, I moved into product design. They were looking for a product designer in the furniture um, or in the home department, specifically doing indoor and outdoor furniture and some decor. And I thought it sounded like an incredible opportunity. And thankfully, they hired me. So I got to make a career change without going back to school. And uh, I learned a lot about how furniture is made, um, you know, the global manufacturing of furniture and fast furniture. And, you know, it was an incredible experience. I'm so thankful for my time there. But, uh, you know, as I kind of got to the tail end of my time there, I started seeing some things that I was like, "Hmm, you know, this doesn't really make me feel so great. Um, You know, I was pregnant. And after having my daughter, I wanted to leave the world a better place so that, you know, when she's older and has children, like the air is still breathable and, you know, things like that. So let's talk a little bit about the things that you were noticing, because I have my own personal examples as a consumer Mm -hmm. that I think will be amusing to share. But talk about what (laughs) you were seeing from the inside out. Sure. So like, um, you know, when I was pregnant, we landed in Shanghai one day and, you know, they had an air quality alert. We have air quality alerts here too, but, you know, there they just have more, you know, unregulated pollution and they don't, you know, have the same EPA considerations that we do here, which, you know, we still have smog, you know, if you're in California, um, in some of the more dense cities, you still see smog and you still have, you know, issues with outdoor air quality. Um, but there it was really bad. They were saying if you are you know, elderly or pregnant or a small child, don't take your exercise outside today. And I remember by the end of the day, I felt kind of like I had the flu and I wasn't sick. It was just from breathing the air all day long. And I think it was a few years before that, or maybe it was after that. I don't actually remember anymore. But there was a summit of world leaders that was be- was meeting in Hangzhou, China, and the government actually shut down all factory production months in advance. And for us, it was during a time of the year when we traveled um, to visit the factories and it was during production time. So, you know, a lot of the factories and a lot of the retailers were really kind of freaking out about this um, because they're like, oh, we don't know how we're going to de- you know, deliver our, our products. And the government was like, absolutely not. There were huge fines for people who were caught kind of going around. Um, and that's know, because they were it. trying to just clean things up for a, clean a short up little for portion summit. of time. They wanted to, they wanted mm-hmm. blue skies and Hangzhou is a beautiful city. I mean, beautiful city. I always thought when we were there that it was just, you know, overcast all the time just because that was like the weather, you know, like kind of like a San Francisco type thing where, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a lot of fog and really it was smog from all of the surrounding factories in the, in the areas surrounding it. And it's a little bit of an unfair comparison between here and there because they do have so much more, you know, they do the bulk of the world's manufacturing. Again, that's part of the problem is that we keep allowing stuff to be pushed there because it can be done cheaper. And Mm -hmm. so when you have somebody who is 
creating in the U.S. They are handcrafting their furniture or their cannabis or their products. It costs more money. And so then all of a sudden your fate is in the hands of a consumer that is most of the time not educated. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, I will say if I wanted to go to you know, anywhere in Asia, be it Vietnam, be it China, you know, any place that's producing furniture and find a factory that is doing things sustainably and paying their workers well, I could do that. I don't think I would have a problem finding a factory like that. You know, like here, there are factories at all ends of the spectrum in terms of how they care about the planet, how they care about their people, um, all of those things. But, you know, then I also, my, you know, my product is made for the U.S. market right now. And, you know, the most that we're going to grow right now with our current production, our current U.S. production is, you know, to Canada and perhaps Mexico. But we're going to stay within the North American continent because if we don't, you have. Hey, music lovers, the Canamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom built one of a kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. have to, you know, kind of utilize the, the shipping industry, um, Ocean Freight, in order to get your products places. And uh, Ocean Freight is even shadier than any, even the shadiest company that you'd find in, you know, overseas manufacturing. Yes. You know, they use this Frankenfuel stuff that is now being globally investigated uh, because they don't know what it's going to end up doing to you know, the air, the air quality, the oceans and the marine, or the oceans. Exactly. They have, you know, terrible human rights violations and they fly their flags, you know, under flags of convenience. So they pick a country that has the most favorable conditions for them as the, as the freight company. And, you know, you saw a lot of these stories that were kind of coming to light through things that you're finding online or through NPR about, you know, these, ship workers that are being exposed to COVID that have been on, that are not allowed to like dock and go home to see their families. Like there's terrible human rights violations in the shipping industry. And not to even mention the human trafficking and the drug smuggling and all the other stuff that happens. So, you know, it's one thing when you're like, oh, well, I'm selling a sustainable product, but then I'm Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but it was made in China and then it had to be shipped back over here. So Mm -hmm. did you really do something sustainable? sustainable here? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I I came from interior design and I came from, you know, like the built environment industry, um, architecture and design. And, you know, one of the things that the environmental programs say is you should be sourcing your product within 500 miles of where it's going to be used. Now, as a as a national brand, I can't do that. I can't like locate factories all over the country and, you know, ship depending on where people live, but just locating ourselves, locating our production on this continent is certainly better than producing it overseas and then, you know, putting it on a boat and bringing it over here. Absolutely. And, you know, part of that conversation too becomes having quality products over Mm -hmm. the quantity of products because, you know, this whole fast furniture thing, when I was creating this studio three years ago, I was a one woman show. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to have furniture that had clean lines, but that Mm -hmm. was something that I could move and change up my set and I wouldn't need an extra set of hands. Mm -hmm. 
And I bought several pieces of furniture that were extremely affordable, but then they get here and there's something wrong with every piece of it. And there was one shelf thing that I bought and I had hired somebody from Lug, a handyman, to come over and put this stuff together for me. And he's like, ma'am, I don't think something's right. And I turn around, there were two legs to this little table that were one length and the other two were another length. And he had gone ahead and put them on. And so he had a table that was like leaning like this. I'm going to post a picture of this in the show notes. But, Please do. I mean, it was so ridiculous. Sounds ridiculous. Yeah. And so then I reach back out and I'm like, uh, hey, here's pictures. Can you send me the right legs? They never came. So I have a table that just like is sitting on the floor. I had to just take the legs off. It, it's it's a joke. Oh, Fast furniture is such a joke. It's bananas, you know, and there are certainly, you know, companies that are, I mean, here the ways in which you get prices down are either you buy it in massive, massive quantities and you make it all at once and you drive the labor costs down. Um, you use cheaper materials and you build it so that it's only going to last for, you know, a couple of years or like one move. Um, you can't ever take it apart. Yes. Um, you can't repair it. And um, the third option is you don't pay people a livable wage. You know, you're basically taking advantage of someone in the, um, you have to take advantage of somebody in the Somebody suffers. Somebody suffers. Exactly. Somebody Mm -hmm. suffers. So, you know, I didn't want to do that. You know, our furniture is made to last lifetimes. Um, It is made so that you can, most of our pieces are solid wood. We do use some veneer product, but um, we're trying to like minimize it. Certainly we don't use it on the tops of surfaces that are being like our coffee tables. Our coffee tables are all solid wood on the top so that you don't have to worry about nicking it and then you're down to like whatever, you know, the plywood or the, some people make it out of MDF. The veneers that we do use, um, like on our side tables, it's a a thicker veneer. So if you do nick something, it can be repaired. So repairing is one thing. Um, We tried to make our technology modular so that, you know, who knows? I mean, it might be a neural link at some point that we're, you know, like they're implanting our brains and, you know, everybody's like, yeah, cool. And, you know, making phone calls just, (laughs) I know, me neither, but like (laughs) making, you know, making calls, just thinking about it, like who knows what technology is going to look like, you know, 50 years from now. And so, you know, certainly you don't want to end up with a piece of furniture now that no longer works for the purpose that you bought it for. So, you know, we thought about everything in terms of making it last forever, using quality materials, making sure that the factories that we're working with have a commitment to sustainability for the planet and a commitment to, you know, financial sustainability of the workers who are making the products. So that costs more. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, you're making an elite product for, you know, frankly, like white people who are taking over cannabis. But, you know, what I keep trying to tell people is I am 100% for everybody making a livable wage. And when we have more employees and when we do start to bring manufacturing into, you know, a facility of our own, which is in the long-term growth plan, we'll make sure that everybody is making money, um, is is building wealth off of this job and, and this business too. Yeah. I'm not one of those people that believes that, you know, just because I founded it, I get to, you know, have multiple homes and, um, you know, I get to basically hoard all the wealth in perpetuity. Yeah. Uh, it takes a village to build a business. Absolutely. And, you know, I while I'm growing my business as I need help or somebody reaches out and says, may I help you? Mm-hmm. You know, my first question is, what do you need to make financially to make this worth your while? Yes. First question, because before I even have the conversation, I need to know, can I satisfy this person and make Mm -hmm. them feel valued and them know that they can take care of themselves? You know, that's part of good leadership. And I think that's, frankly, how you figure out, you know, what your corporate values are and where Mm -hmm. you're going from there. Are you somebody that's playing the infinite game? Are you somebody who is thinking about, you know, how am I leaving the planet? How am I representing this culture? Am I protecting the people that I that work for me? Or Mm -hmm. am I playing that finite game of 
I'm going to have 25% more sales this quarter and Mm -hmm. I'm going to be the, you know, number one furniture company in the world or country. So it's silly that we have to even have these kinds of conversations, but Mm -hmm. you know, people grow up at different rates. Yeah. So no, for sure. I had to have this conversation multiple times when I was seeking investment in 40 goods. I talked to hundreds of people and I realized that investors are looking for that hockey stick growth and they want an exit. They want an exit within a couple of years. So they're playing the short game. They want you in and out. They want to make a boatload of money. And, you know, that's what they're interested in. And I was like, look, I'm hoping that we can build something that we can hold for a while. And, you know, who knows, maybe it's not selling to somebody else who's going to absorb us. Maybe it's selling it to the employees at some point if we have to have an exit. But ultimately, you know, I'm not looking to grow this business in a quick way and then dump it. I'm trying to be the change that I think we need in capitalism and in fast furniture, just in business in general. And there's a lot of people who are certainly more, uh, have a much larger platform than I do, who are, you know, having this conversation now. So that's heartening. But to also hear when I was talking to people like, oh, you know, what are you a socialist? You know, it's (laughs) like, well, I mean, I guess kind of in the most basic definition of it. But like, really, I just believe in care for why can't we just be conscious capitalists? Exactly. I love conscious capitalism. Like, I love that term because it doesn't make it seem like you're this person who's trying to take everything away from everybody and redistribute everything. But, um, you know, I do think that if we don't get to a point where more companies are taking this conscious capitalistic, you know, um, stance, yeah, yeah, stance on things, we're going to continue to have more haves, more have nots. The planet's going to continue to be treated like it's being treated now and things are not going to get better. Well, and I think it really just starts with um, having the conversation and giving people a a little taste of it and making them (laughs) curious. For example, I grew up in Texas and I moved off to Italy. Upon my return, I came out to the wine country of California, closest thing to Italy I could find here. (laughs) And I was introduced to the maker movement. Yes. I didn't know what that was, but I needed a gig and they needed somebody to help produce an event. And so I got thrown into this world and I'm like, yes, absolutely. It's about recycling. It's about upcycling. Mm -hmm. It's about open sourcing. Mm -hmm. It's about finding new ways to use and do old things and, Mm -hmm. and just truly that quality over quantity and keeping community and planet at the center of everything that you do. And that had never even been part of my conscious thought mm-hmm. um, that this was such a thing. And, you know, and so it completely changed how I move through the world, how I purchase things and or not really purchase things. Mm-hmm. So I just really think that if if people see it and know it's an option, then they're more likely to choose it because I do believe in the the goodness of humans and mm-hmm. that, you know, that we all want to support and be supported at the end of the day. It's just some shitty things happen to people that make them change the way they think and who they put first. And, you know, so it's just like reintroducing people to the idea. I think that's a hopeful and optimistic way to get us going in the other direction. Yeah, I would agree. I love the maker movement, you know, that there are a lot of a lot more, you know, small even one or two person shops creating things. Um, But I would also say that just because somebody is a maker doesn't necessarily mean that they are, you know, doing things in a sustainable way. I know a ton of people who are still, you know, like a small one or two person shop that, you know, they're still spraying heavy solvent finishes. Um, You know, they're, you know, not necessarily looking for products that are sustainably harvested, um, or are, you know, maybe not necessarily paying the, you know, help that they have. Certainly. Uh, There's some wage. of those. Yeah. I mean, that's sure. everywhere. And that's why we yes. have to be conscious consumers and yes. look under the hood of the company yes. that we're looking to give our money to. 
And that's the one thing that I, you know, just because something is made overseas or just because something is made here doesn't necessarily equate like good versus bad. It really is something that you have to like, it's, it's exhausting. I mean, you have to literally chase down if you're going to make a big purchase in something or even a small purchase. Like there are certain things that we don't buy anymore because of, you know, it comes in single use plastic packaging now, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into figuring out, you know, just who you're buying from and what that money supports and making good choices. You know, I, I just, think that that's only going to continue. Yeah. And just a random example of that after, you know, I do this segment called the sustainability roll up and I had done a little deep dive on cotton and on fast fashion. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about the little cotton pads that I use on my face three times a day yes. and throw in the trash. And so I went to a website and bought like a pack of bamboo, you know, cotton pad replacements yeah. and that I can just throw in the washing machine. And so, yeah. you know, it's those sometimes those tiniest of purchases that we just use and consume over and over and over again that mm-hmm. can make a really big difference in the long run. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's kind of like the more you know, you know, the better you can be. And, you know, I I actually just did the same thing not too long ago, switching over to cloth, you know, makeup removers and things like that. And it's, you know, things like making sure that your kid is using reusable containers in their lunch every day. And it's a rabbit hole that you kind of go down. And, you know, there's a there's a lot that you can green that anybody can green in their own home. But it just starts with, you know, the desire to want to make better choices. Yeah. So now let's switch gears a little bit because you've been sort of a closet cannabis consumer for a majority (laughs) of your life. You live in a prohibition state. I do. And you own a company that is Mm. considered an ancillary cannabis business. You create furniture designed to keep people's stash safe. You don't touch the plant, but you have to talk about it all the time. And you have a little Mm -hmm. six-year-old around. So tell me what that's like. Well, you know, for lots of reasons. She doesn't ever see me consume cannabis. One, because it's illegal here and kids like to talk. The second thing is that she's not young enough to really understand the difference between smoking a cigarette and anything else. So I want to make good choices in front of her. So she doesn't ever really see me consume, although um, I do consume and play with her and hang out with her. And she's none the wiser. She just thinks that mom is, you know, relaxed and fun mom because running a business is hard and stressful. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's not a lot that she actually, she doesn't actually see any of it. I mean, when we do photo shoots and things like that, like I have pieces that you know, are clean and we use CBD flour and CBD um, cartridges to display and photograph all of our stuff so that we are not doing anything illegal and our photographers and models don't have to worry about like anything illegal for them. So um, that's how we get around that. And my daughter um, has seen, you know, there's a bong that someone sent us to photograph, you know, with our products. And she was like, mommy, what's that? And I was like, oh, it's a, it's a vase, you know, it's just a glass. And she's like, well, what's this thing on the front? And I was like, that's where you pour the water in. She was like, okay. You know, she'll know at some point, but for now it's like, she doesn't really need to know. Um, And are you you familiar with session goods? Yes, that's actually the bomb. Okay, that... I'm like their stuff would match your stuff perfectly. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's actually the um the bong that I have. Oh, and nice. so she sees that and I'm like, Yeah, it's a beautiful vase and you pour the water in the hole and that's how you <laughs> so you don't get it in up by the stems. And she's like, All right, cool. Yeah. So, you know, she's yeah. at some point she'll probably have some trust issues, but it's harmless enough for now. <laughs> yeah. Growing up when we did, we were part of that dare kid group. Yes. I have several friends who had, you know, written letters and were taking them to school to give to their teacher to narc on their parents <sighs> because that's what they felt obligated to do after yeah. hearing, you know, McGruff the crime dog come yeah, talk to exactly. us or whatever. But now I'm like, just like you and I having a conversation the other day and she'd gotten home and, you know, we're talking and the word cannabis and different stuff is coming out, you know, yeah. of our mouths. And so when you think about just the parroting that young yes. kids do about the things that they say at school, 
Yes. Do you, have you had any issues with that? No, I haven't. I did a present, she's in kindergarten. I did a presentation to her kindergarten class about woodworking and I sent in one of our cartridge blocks and I was like, oh, this is a pencil. I sent in a cartridge block and I sent in a pre-roll holder and I was like, these are pencil blocks. And I was like, you can put crayons in here and you can, you know, pull it out and draw on them. But I was explaining to them, you know, like how you take raw materials. And then, you know, I sent them a video of the machine that cuts, you know, these out and, you know, we went through like a whole thing and, you know, the, at the end of it, the teacher was like, oh, there's, you know, some of, some of the other people in the class are saying that they're probably going to check out your website later and, you know, buy something. And I was like, great, you yes. know, like, that's not what I'm doing this for. But, you know, so they're all like relatively cool about it. I mean, if she wanted to, she could probably call CPS on me. That would be but insane. She, but yes, it would be insane. You know, my child is smart, clean, well taken care of, you know, at school every day. There'd be no reason for her to do that um, other than just to be weird and yeah and, and spiteful. Right. But, um, yeah. I mean, they know kind of what I do. And it's funny because, you know, I am in a prohibition state, but most of the people in our community, a lot of our neighbors and people um, that my daughter goes to school with know what I do. And it's funny because people will now like confess to me their cannabis consumption, which I find funny. I'm like, I am not like a pot priestess or anything. Like you don't have to, you don't like, you're like, people need to feel that community. Like people that are living in the closet, they're just dying to be able to talk to somebody. So you've cracked the door for that. So just take it, be that pot priestess. Yeah. And you know, it's so funny because there is still really a stigma attached to parenting and cannabis. You can do a Google search right now for alcohol juice boxes or like funny glassware or things that are like, you know, because wine or because kids or, you know, it's like cool to use your children as a reason for your alcohol consumption. Or certainly it's a marketing, something that people are, you know, making products and marketing to. Absolutely. Um, I see that shit all the time. Exactly. And it's like alcohol doesn't really give you any sort of health benefit. And in fact, in some situations, when you overconsume, it makes people very mean. Yeah. Um, it can make or, you a shitty parent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so strange to me that there's still such this like that like people really truly did like take the dare thing to heart and like still as adults believe it to this day. And that to me is like it's sad And it's also it's programming. um, It's the power of programming. I mean, when you think about all of these like unconscious biases that you have Mm -hmm. and when you when you get still and you really start thinking about it, most of the time you can trace them back to being a child and something you Mm -hmm. either heard or got scolded by a parent or a grandparent or the way that kids are programmed at school, I mean, should make you nervous. Like I would want to go to school and just like observe for like a month. What in the hell is happening here? And what are you teaching kids? Because that's such an important time of growth and connecting all of those dots. It's like, I don't want to leave that in the hands of someone blindly. Sure. And, you know, to be honest, if I were living in California Illinois, like even Michigan, anywhere where there is legal cannabis, I would be having a much different conversation with my child than I can in a state with laws against it. Yeah, totally. Well, let's dive in a little bit. You did a little show and tell with part of your furniture, (laughs) but tell me what the benefits of the 40 Goods Furniture is for consumers like me. Sure. You know, one of the benefits is you now have one location for your cannabis. You know, one of the things that I found was, you know, there's a ton of different options for storage solutions. There's stash boxes, stash bags, you know, those things are great if you're just going to be storing your stuff that contains THC little things into it. But, um, you know, when it comes to bongs, pipes, rigs, you know, whatever you end up having, it's like you have to find a different place for that. So that's either like going up on a shelf or hidden in the basement or, you know, like wherever it ends up being. And I just want to put everything together so that it's not like, oh, where'd I put my, where's my lighter? Where's my this? Where's my that? You know, like I have it all together. It's all contained and it's locked so that I know that my child's not getting into it. Um, And then two, you know, I don't necessarily need my house smelling like it either. You know, I don't necessarily want somebody coming into my home and being like, 
where's it at? It's you know, funny like, when my dad comes into my house, he smells like your stuff in here. <laughs> <laughs> your stuff. Um, that's funny. So, um, you know, we use replaceable carbon filters that go inside of the drawer where you're keeping, you know, the stinky stuff. And those can be changed out as needed. But essentially... How often um, is that typically? It depends. It depends on, you know, like how much you're keeping in there, okay. what type of product you're keeping in there. Um, so if but, I have 14 different strains in there, but they're all in their own jars. Yeah. I mean, I so feel if like you're it, in jars too, that's kind of cutting down as well. You know, I would say you're probably looking anywhere from like six months to a year of, you know, we don't actually manufacture the filters ourselves, although they're made on the North American continent. We actually found, we did a huge search, you know, R&D on carbon filters and what absorbs smell well. And we actually found a company that was doing it for the hunting market for basically absorbing human smells off of clothes so that you can go out into the woods and find food. And um, we ended up making a bigger solution that would fit within our furniture. And they're manufacturing that for us, which is great. So, you know, we haven't really made it through like a full year yet, but in some of our tests where we have a smaller stashes, you know, we're at six months and you cannot smell anything awesome. at all from the jar. Now, like when you open something up and, you know, you're, you're going to smell a little bit in your house, but it's not like the storage, the act of storing all of it is really going to, it's going to absorb a lot of that odor. So if I have one of these, is it a little key that I use to get into it? Is it a touchpad no. with a, How does that work? No, it's all on your phone. We ended up building an app. So you can't actually see on our furniture, there is no like lock. You would not know that it locks at all, except if you try to open a drawer and it doesn't open. So it was really important for me, number one, to have furniture that was, you know, beautiful enough that people would want it, even if it didn't have a locking capability. Um, and then two, the locking feature ends up being kind of this cool bonus. You cannot actually see, there's nothing on the outside that would tell you that it has a lock. On the back side of the furniture, there's a little grommet to recharge the circuit board, the brain of the furniture. We use something that's a rechargeable battery, not unlike what's in your cell phone. How does that work? That, how does it work? Yeah. Uh, so if the battery, like, how do you, so if there's it a dies, on the what back. happens? Yeah. yeah. There's a grommet on the back of the furniture or on the underside if it's a coffee table or a side table. But on our entertainers or bigger pieces, it's always on the back of the furniture. And every piece of furniture comes with a a wall outlet that you plug into okay. and then a really long, like a six foot, six and a half foot long cord. And so you basically just, you know, plug it into the wall, plug it into the back of your furniture, and then you'll be able to see it charge up on your phone. There's like a battery level right. when you go into the app. Uh, and then, you know, once it's fully charged, it depends on how many locks you have. It depends on how much you're going in and out of it. But we're anywhere between, you know, a month to two months where you'd need to have, you know, an additional charge. And we're looking at even increasing our battery size so that you can get to like, you know, charging it maybe once a quarter or once, you know, once or twice a year. So you have the app. So your husband has the app. If yes. he gets into the drawer, does an alert come on your app that no, somebody's gotten in the drawer? Um, we're looking at, <laughs> so we're hoping that like, as we get more like feedback from our customers about like what's working and what isn't, we're certainly going to make some additional changes and build out the app even further. So right now we're kind of like at a minimum um, you know, what I see is the minimum requirements in order for it to be useful to people um, and be a really great product. So um, right now, when you log into the app, you can put it on your Wi-Fi so that when you're not home, you can still see, you can unlock and lock. So kind of like your, if you have like a, a garage door opener that's on your Wi-Fi and, you know, somebody shows up and wants to get into your house or even your front door, you can remotely unlock it from your phone anywhere. In the maker world, we call that the internet of things. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the internet of things. Um, it goes on your home Wi-Fi. It is, um, there is one person who is sort of like the account owner. And then from there, you can add additional users and you can give people access indefinitely, or you can give people access for a limited amount of time. You can revoke access from people. And then you have a history. So when your drawers were locked and unlocked, 
Um, there are settings in there, which allow you to, there's three different modes that we have, which is manual, which means you need to, you know, manually lock it and manually unlock it every time you're using it. There's a, an automatic lock. So roughly about 15 seconds after you unlock it, the lock engages again. So you can kind of, you can, you can go into it and get what you want out of it. But the next time you close the drawer, it's going to lock. Um, and then there is a timed mode. So if you want to be able to get in and out of it for like, I think right now our um, timed mode is 15 minutes. So you have kind of 15 minutes, you know, short session to kind of like get in and out of it. And then, you know, you'll close your drawer, you walk away and in 15 minutes from when you opened it, it'll re-engage the lock yeah, again. Kind of like our laptops. You walk away yep. from it a few minutes. Exactly. Like that. Yeah. And then we also have fail safe and fail secure. So there's a battery meter level on it. And when it gets to about 25%, it's a good idea to, you know, plug it in and recharge it. But um, there are two different options. So a fail safe and fail secure. So if it fails secure, and that's what you've selected, when the battery runs out of juice, the cabinet is locked until you plug it back in and it has enough charge to open it up again. So if you're living in a home with children, recommend that. If you don't live in a home with children um, or you don't have as many concerns about it, you can fail safe, which is when the battery gets to a point where it can't fire the lock um, anymore, just before that, it will unlock and it'll leave it unlocked until you charge it up again so that it can kind of do its thing again. Right on. Very cool. Yeah. Very smart furniture. If people wanted to check that out, it's 40goods.com. Yep. yep. And it's F-O-R-T-I. Yes. G-O-O-D-S. And, 40 with an I. Yes, and you can check out um, their at 40 goods on mm -hmm. all the social channels. Yes. Now, is there anything, Sharon, that I didn't ask you that's important, you think, to kind of round out the conversation? Um, no, just other than, you know, there's a lot of people who've been like, why do I need to like safely store it? I can keep it on a shoebox. I can keep it, you know... <laughs> on a shelf, I can hide it and do whatever. And it's like, yeah, you can. But like, you know, I was just talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about how like when we were kids, you know, every Christmas I'd be digging in the closet to try and like, you know, just unwrap a corner and see what I got. My parents caught me once and put an end to that. But, you know, kids are just really, um, they pay attention to everything. I caught my own daughter, you know, she had climbed up on the countertop and that was actually the impetus for starting this company. She'd climbed mm -hmm. up on a counter and helped herself to candy that my husband was hiding. So she knew where she knew where we were keeping the candy. And I was like, oh, thank God. Like if that had been anything that contained THC or if it had been a medication, like we would have to get medical attention. And yeah, that would have know, opened a whole can of worms. Not yeah. good for anybody. So, mm -hmm. you know, safely store your cannabis with the with the right that a lot of people in this country have to consume it legally comes a responsibility to store it safely. And, you know, what it looks like when your child is very young, obviously, is going to change throughout, you know, as they age, you're probably going to have a different solution for a six-year-old than you are a 16-year-old. Yeah. But it's important to keep them safe. Absolutely. And I think I would like to add on to that. My big takeaway is, you know, we can't let the cannabis industry become like fast fashion, fast furniture. And so, you know, it's important to support craft cannabis growers and these small businesses and don't let this industry get taken over by big ag, big pharma, mm -hmm. big alcohol, big pains mm -hmm. in the ass. Like, you know, it's big tobacco. Yeah. It's our responsibility as consumers to, you know, make sure that we're making responsible purchases that really honor the industry, honor the makers and honor our community. I agree. Well said. Yes. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for your time. I love the furniture you're creating. It's so beautiful. I'm relocating my studio soon and, and I'm eyeballing a couple of pieces myself. <laughs> Let me know. <laughs> you got it. As the world opens back up, I invite you to be the pace car for your inner circle. Take things slow. Choose quality over quantity, and don't forget to savor the simple experiences of life. And you business owners, consider replacing the need for a competitive edge over your competition with compassion for your team, customers, and planet. When you're playing the infinite game and living consciously, 
People want to support you. It might seem counterintuitive to the reptilian part of your brain, but a smart business who leads with compassion organically develops a competitive edge. It might take a little longer, but you're making this world a better place with every heart-centered choice you make. And if you're one of those retail therapy types, I really hope you're inspired to step away from the late-night online shopping cart and share this podcast instead. And if you want to experience the essence of slow cannabis, I invite you to meet me in the wine and weed country of Northern California for a one-on-one or small group casually baked retreat. I promise to pair you with fulfilling one-of-a-kind experiences to both educate and inspire you. From terpenes walks in the redwoods to a trimming and joint rolling class on a craft cannabis farm to gathering herbs together and making your own medicine. I'm opening the door to my version of the modern cannabis lifestyle and sharing the tools I use to live a highly inspired life. Learn more in the podcast 191 show notes and keep messaging me your thoughts and can of curious questions at casuallybaked.com. You social butterflies can DM me on social. I'm at Casually Baked on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and now WeedTube. Ah, slow and steady wins the race, my friend, and I'm excited to continue our journey together. I vow to keep the dynamic cannabis dialogue flowing. If you'll puff, puff, pass it on. Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, I'm Gary, and I invite you to discover the Cannabis Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on a Canadian's cannabis culture. I would be the Canadian, and my cannabis passion and culture has been building for five decades. I share that passion for this wonderful plant in every episode, through conversations with cannabis advocates and enthusiasts, stories about the ever-changing legal environment, and some hands-on testing of product in a segment I call Cultivar Corner. The Cannabis Podcast, a Canadian's cannabis culture, one token at a time.